0: Welcome, one, and welcome all to our maiden voyage into the podcast world. I am franchise-tagged Leatherman broadcaster, nationally known, regionally respected, locally celebrated Dallas Stars broadcaster Daryl Ray. And with me, former Dallas Morning News scribe, now senior writer for DallasStars.com, Mr. Mike Heiko. Welcome, Mike. I'm
1: local homer and sellout. Are you a a homer now? Yes, I am. No, no, I don't know. I just try and write fun hockey stuff.
0: It's the same thing I used to do. Between the two of us, 50 plus years of covering the little D-stars here in the Metroplex. So there's a wealth of historical knowledge, I would think. Whether it bubbles up in this podcast is (laughs) another thing altogether. We'll be joined... A little later on, by the Vice President of Communications and Multi Dick Dillman Award winner, Mr. Tom Holy. And then the most exciting segment of the podcast it is Millennial Musings with 24 year old Jeff Totes. Uh, that's upcoming. Starting things off, though, opening weekend, stars win both games Arizona Coyotes on opening night, and then the hated Winnipeg Jets. In game number two. Question to you, Michael, what did you love? What did you learn?
1: Um, I love two weird things. The first game, I think, against Arizona, they kind of tiptoed in and you know, felt their way and adjusted to the game, uh, I think. And the second game, they just burst right in, established their will, and said, we're we're doing it this way, we're doing it our way, and you're going to have to adjust to us. And to me, that was a big step in one game. uh, Because in my opinion, and I think you share this, that the best way to play any sport is to go in with confidence, impose your will, and make the other team adjust. And I think over the past however many, 10 years, 8 years, too often we've seen the stars adjusting to what other teams have done, uh, so it's a very small you know window of it what is. we've seen. But I <laughs> the like the sample that.
0: size is limited. Yes, yeah.
1: but I like I like that aggressiveness of going in against Winnipeg, and you know I think Winnipeg you know gets your antenna up anyways. But they went in and said, "Look, we're going to do this this way, and we're going to see how you adjust us. Yeah, I we talked about it
0: before the game that one of the attributes of the Winnipeg Jets that I really love is the fact that they've morphed into a team that can play whatever style you want to play. And I, I believe that great teams have that in their DNA. Yeah. You know, If you want to go back to the old Stars teams, if you want to look at some recent Stanley Cup teams, whatever it is, uh, th- you want to play fast, we'll play fast. You want to play rough, we'll play rough. You want to win on special teams, we'll do that. You want to just stack your goalie against our goalie, we'll do that. You want to try our depth, let's try our depth. And when you watch that game, and again, it was only one night, I get that. But all of those things look to be in place with the Stars. And as we said after the game, they, they flipped the script on a very, very good team uh, in the Winnipeg Jets. So we're going to meet again a couple of times, so we'll see how they, they go down the road. I thought the execution against the Jets and the atmosphere in the opener were the two things that I, I loved. You know, the marketing tag heading into the season for the Dallas Stars, get loud, wear green, you know, whatever the third one is. What is the third Stars. one? Ghost. Oh, it's Ghost Stars. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> See? On, it's ingrained on my yeah, noggin. Right. I thought they did all those things. They got loud. They wore green. And even the players, you know, some guys that have been here for a few years, said in between the two they, they couldn't believe, A, that people were in their seats as early as they were and B, that it was as victory green in that building as I've ever seen. Like, I have never seen it like that. It was almost like they issued everyone that came through the doors a Stars jersey for the game that night. That was very impressive. As far as learning, Haskin is going to be in the Calder conversation. Miro Haskin proved in two games that he's not only going to be able to play in this league, he is going to excel in the National Hockey League. I mean, he killed penalties. Uh, he played all situations. He showed the poise that everyone talked about heading in, handled some of the physicality. Uh, th- those were two of the main things I took away from the weekend.
1: Yeah, on the Haskinen thing, it'll be interesting just because on the power plays that we saw, the first unit would be out there for a minute 20. I mean, they, they don't mind keeping him out there. And if Haskinen's on the second unit, then it's going to be harder for him to pick up points, which I think is often comes into the the Calder uh, balloting, but we'll see. I mean, like I said, it's early in the process and injuries happen, and he clearly has the ability to stay calm in every situation. Uh, You know, it's just... uh, Oh,
0: he's a reflecting pool out there. Well, the
1: other funny thing is, like, we hear about his skating and skating and skating and skating, and then his hands are just dynamite. Like, his ability to just, like... Are they dynamite or are they they gauze? You don't want to explode or anything. I know some
0: guys who had dynamite hands back in the
1: day. But he'll like he'll pick a puck out of the air, and you think he's just trying to keep it on yes. and it goes to the tape of an. And you're like that had to yeah. just be luck, right? Yeah. Then he does it like four times. He just like out yeah. of the air, and it goes right to Jason Spezza's tape, and you know you have possession in the offensive zone. It's it's a pretty important play. He's a
0: special player. Yeah, very special player. One of the other things that came out of game number two was the Stars' power play looks like it's going to be not only a weapon but a lethal weapon. They yeah. scored three times against the Jets. Uh, you you like what you're seeing from, from Todd Nelson, who comes on board and his fingerprints are going to be on the Stars' power play. One of his responsibilities as an assistant coach will be the Stars' power play. A lot of it's the individuals, and there's obviously some carryover chemistry with that group. Uh, but you're – your thoughts on that in the opening couple of games?
1: Well, the Isaac Newton theory of a, a uh, object in motion tends to stay in motion, and an object at rest tends to stay at rest.
0: Oh my God! I, I think we're seeing back that in, in the power high school. Play.
1: And so I think the tendency on a lot of power plays is you stay where your sweet spot is. Tyler Sagan in the left circle. He just hangs out there. Floats a little bit, but not much, right? Or He moved more last year. I, right. You know, Hitch and, and
0: them, they they took him away from just being that guy there and other teams able to handle or try to take away or whatever game plan for him over there and started to move him in the slot a little bit right. more. Right, or him some and some Jason Spetzer
1: would switch right. spots and everything. But I think what I've seen, at least in practice and in, in the games, is – they're going everywhere. Jamie Benn goes from right in front of the net to, oh, now I'm in the right circle. And Tyler Sagan goes from left circle to left point to right circle. The power play goal he scored, I think, was from the right circle, which yes. is completely unexpected for him. And Maybe me, they
0: just don't know what they're doing. They're that that just could running be, around. Yeah, they're, just, <laughs> they're running around.
1: And it's all chaotic. But I think, one, that creates a problem for the other team because you don't know what you're seeing. And two, if you're moving... I believe you're more into the play. If you're standing and waiting, then that's, you know, I think even not only is that easier to defend, I think even you're just like, eh, 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 you know, I'm waiting for that moment. Here, you're you're just moving and you maybe you're not thinking as much. Maybe you're just trusting your instincts, which is a lot of what we hear from Jim Montgomery and it looks really good on the ice right now.
0: When I uh, remembered Todd Nelson in his brief Time as a head coach with the Edmonton Oilers. One of the things that came out of Oil Country was he had some brilliant ideas offensively, and especially on the on the power play. And if my memory serves me, I, th- I think they had a spike uh, with their power play, and they had some very good, obviously talent: Nugent Hopkins and Taylor Hall and those guys. Uh, so there, there, there's something to do with coaching, <laughs> but a lot of it is. Obviously, the individuals on the ice, and when you have a group like the Stars can toss out there, especially on their number one unit with Klingberg and up top and then the other three guys. Uh, And then Jason Spezza, who was only on the number one power play maybe 10%, 15% of the time last year. Right. And he holds down that what they call heart position right in the middle. And I'm I'm with you. I wonder whether it's a a sort of microcosm of – the overall philosophy of and stay with me here on this one. The the triangle offense in basketball. If if oh look at Take the millennials <laughs> head snapped around. <laughs> what, Phil Jackson It was what? Popu- yeah popularized <laughs> by Phil Jackson and and Jordan and the Bulls. This is like a history lesson for you, totsi It basically what it does is it puts four the four players without the ball or in hockey the four players without the puck in motion and it, that's an, an effort to probe the defense. It makes them an option to score the basket or score the goal. Not just not just looking for one guy. It's it, they're in concert with one another. It, it's not just made up. There's it might look like it's chaos, nice. but there, there's a plan in place, and I, it usually worked. An overload, I believe on one side of the basketball court or the other, which in a lot of ways sort of feeds what a power play yeah. does. For the most part, you're going to work off the right-wing side, you're going to work off the left-wing side. Now, in that game against Winnipeg, they worked all over the place yep. in there, and there was it was more globetrotter than it was, you know, 80s Bulls. But at the same time, I, I believe in that. I, I, if you're killing penalties, your job – on the penalty killing side of things is to take away whatever their favorite things are. Right. And then you, then you sort of work back from there. So if you're going up against the Winnipeg Jets power play, you know, uh, a pass from Wheeler through the seam over to line eight in that left wing face-off circle where it's just lethality, that is what you want to take away right. first. And then you take that away, then they're going to move to option two and they've got Shifley in the slot or whatever else they want to do. Well, if you don't have a stagnant, here's our guy here, there's our play there, there's our play there, and they have to worry about what's going on and weaves and where did he come from and why is Tyler not on that side and John Klingberg's near the net, then I think you have a chance to, to shock some people with, with your power play.
1: Yeah, and I think some of these players are, I'll go back to another uh, archaic movie reference, uh, Butch Casting the Sundance Kid, where uh, Sundance Kid gets tested. Wow, look to, who has Netflix, huh? <laughs> <I know. laughs> He gets tested on shooting, and he says, just shoot this can, and the, the, he misses it. And then the guy throws, he goes, can I move now? And he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, can I move? And so then he moves and jumps around and shoots the can out of the air 15 times. That's what these players are. If you're just standing there, they don't have their sense. They don't have their flow. They don't have their instinct. And I do believe that there is something to that when you're flying around the rink or even just sliding and gliding and moving and looking. You're changing your perspective. But if you watch them when they're really working it, they are moving. They're not standing around yeah. one touch and they're moving as they're moving, they're seeing the other part of the play develop, and I think that's you know, that's why they're great athletes. That's when they're at their best.
0: I think one of the themes we're going to get from Montgomery's overall philosophy will be kinetic, yeah. kinet- kineticism. Is that right?
1: It is. I don't even know. Kinesiology. I think Kit- you're studying well, it. Well,
0: there you go. Uh, one of the other things that came up was, and, and was applauded was the tilt between Brett Ritchie and – and uh, Lowry at the end of the first period and you know again the role of fighting in the National Hockey League in hockey in general is being diminished it's fading it's not what it once was I'll be honest with you I, I feel sometimes that it's just out of place in today's game I used to stop down for That I've had very violent youth. I wasn't always in them as a goaltender, which was wonderful. (laughs) I was actually seldom in them. But I I just feel like the evolution of the game is pushing that out of the game. And yet, when it happens, and it happens organically like it did the other night, it feels like it does have an impact on the game. You'll get all kinds of argument from analytics people and all that, that it's hooey. There's no way that it does. But where is fighting in 2018 what is the role of it in the nhl in 2018
1: well i think when it does become diminished then the fights that happen have the ability to have an even greater impact because it's not four fights in a game it's one fight in four games and so when you have that fight if it is organic and if it does come at the right time i think it does make an impact and it's funny i I agree with you i mean we all sit there and try and analyze what's going on and coaches will do it and broadcasters will do it media members will do it but then you talk to the players And they believe in momentum, and they believe in fights, and they believe in things that are happening. And if they're the ones on the ice that are actually reacting to these things, isn't that kind of an important source? Uh, You know, Mark Mathot was saying after the game, you know, momentum is real. Right before the end of a period, you want to go in. You you know you don't want to go in with your tail between your legs. You don't want to go in thinking, oh, we didn't we didn't do that very well. You want to go in going like, yeah, let's get out here and let's go take care of the second period. Yeah, they Go back in their cave. And, ah, ah, ah. That's real to them. And so yes, so then I do think the impact is real. And I thought they had a great second period. So now, did the fight affect that? Yeah. Well, they thought it did. It's all that really matters. And and yet, you you looked
0: at the the aftermath verbally of that fight. And the other thing Mark Mathod said was, you know, you got to have some stones to pick a fight in front of 18,000 people. Like just think of that. I mean, it was one thing to get in a fight at recess at school and the whole school comes around fight, fight, fight. But I mean, you're going to drop the mitts, put it on the line in front of 18,000 people. Basically gladiators.
1: Well, and again, like Roussel or, you know, one of our old fighters who did that on a routine basis, that was the sixth fight in 189 games for Brett Ritchie. Yeah. So this is not something he does on a routine no. basis. So for him to do it, which I think his role is changing a bit, and he does have to claw his way into the lineup now, but that's important too.
0: Lowry on the other side said, just stated, you know, he asked me for a fight. We were down 2 to nothing. They're thinking they can change momentum on their side. Brett Ritchie, I'm sure, is just looking at Lowry and looking at that group and what went on in the corner just prior to that when Connor Carrick got rammed into the third row by Big Bufflin from behind. And he's like, we're going to make a stand here and you're not going to bully us in our building. And with one second left, the gloves came off and they started throwing hands, violent hands. I'd never ban fighting. I'd never ban it but but i can see a time where they should probably adopt you fight in an nhl game you're out of the game for right. the rest of the night i i can see that yeah i can see that coming
1: well and the, i mean obviously a lot of this is going to be determined in the courtrooms and you know if indeed, you know, they can prove concussions or CTE are linked to fighting, then I think lawyers will be coming in and saying, like, you can't do this to our players and put them in harm's way. You have to be able to protect them. We've seen it in the NFL with the, you know, don't touch the quarterback rule. And, and I mean, it's right. just how things work. These are businesses. are becoming
0: less violent. And that's just the nature of, uh, I think, our society right yeah. now and Hockey's going to follow suit. I brought up Connor Carrick. This is called a segue. Oh, smooth, too. Uh, And we're going to talk Connor Carrick in the Stars D in just a moment. So Connor Carrick is acquired late in training camp from the Toronto Maple Leafs who will be in town this coming week with all their horde of media wags. Um, A much better acquisition from the Leafs than Nathan Parrott was back in the day. Back in the day. That's how I, I took it on the surface. But because of Stephen John's PTH, and that's not a very good situation right now, obviously, and the fact that the depth of the star's defense core, period, just isn't what it once was. You you look at the hockey news at the beginning of every season, they put out uh, 10 best prospects for every NHL team. The number one prospect for the Stars was Miro Haskinen, but there wasn't another defenseman listed in the following nine. Uh, Two goalies, lots of forwards, they're deep at other positions, but that's one position that's been depleted a little bit around here. So they... They grab this relatively young, yet somewhat experienced defenseman from the Leafs, insert him into the lineup immediately. He hasn't barely practiced with right. the team, let alone a, played a game. And
1: he looked terrific in two games. Yeah, it, there's so many different th- elements to this. Uh, I actually liked Bayreuther in preseason, and I liked Hetherington last year. And so those are prospect defenseman who could possibly play, but Bayreuther hasn't played in the NHL, and Miro Haskinen hadn't played in the NHL, and Julius Honke has 50-whatever games, 56 games in the NHL, and so you're going to potentially think that on opening night, you're going to put all three of those guys on your defense, and I think what they saw in the last two preseason games against uh, St. Louis and Colorado was when they ran their A teams. That Gavin Bayreuther was excuse me, Gavin Bayreuther. We'll fix that in post. I know in, in post yeah. we'll do that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> they uh, he was a, you know he was in a little deep, and Julius Honka was in a little deep. And I think when Connor Carrick became available, they said, you know what, this kid's got 167 NHL games. Uh, he's 24 years old. Let's give it a shot. And boy, he has been great. I, I mean, if we're just sitting here after game two. I'm like I don't know when he's coming out of the lineup. You know if, if certainly not coming out against the Leafs. I no, can guarantee certainly you that. not. Yeah, and if Stephen Johns comes back, he seems like him and, and Roman Polak would be a nice flip, and then you just ride Connor Carrick and and you know let Julius Honka sit until you get to a place where you really think you need to make that move.
0: The two people that you should never go to for pronunciation uh, would be Mike Heike and every NHL coach. We're no. going to get you a pronunciation the guide. G- the
1: GM's not it's good either. It's a soft
0: J. It's like jogging. Yes, Julius. All those fins go with the soft J. Heiskanen? There's no J involved there, Heika. <laughs> the heck is wrong with you? Uh, I agree with with you on on Connor Carrick. It's going to be interesting as it, as it moves along. Just uh, whether this is playing on a bit of adrenaline and new circumstance and parachuted in and no time to think it's a lot of times not only in this sport athletes in general play some of their best hockey when they don't think when they get thinking uh, they can be dangerous and get in their own way so uh, on the surface it certainly looks like a wonderful acquisition and a need filled for the Dallas Stars in the short term Uh, we're going to take another little break after this one of our most anticipated segments of the uh, rinky-dinking podcast, Tom Holy is going to join us from Dallas Stars Communications. So we call this segment Holy Puckaganda. As Dallas Stars esteemed VP of Communications Tom Holy joins us here now, he is the uh, Sarah Sanders of uh, the Little D Stars, if you if you will. And uh, Tom, you're going to offer up basically the propaganda position of the Stars organization. What we should be talking about, what not just we, nay we, all coverage. Of the National Hockey League and Dallas Stars should be talking about what?
2: Well, he gave us reason to think this. Jamie Ben is why we should be talking. Yeah, we don't
0: talk enough about Jamie Ben on the Dallas Stars broadcasts and in media.
2: He doesn't talk about himself enough. Maybe that's true. We talk about him quite a bit, but when you hit a six hundred, when you hit a round number, and he just hit six hundred points, you naturally talk about a guy. It's one
0: of my themes on our broadcast. If a a guy's leading the National Hockey League or a team's leading the National Hockey League, we'll talk about that. And when they hit round numbers, milestone round numbers, we feature them. So go ahead. I know you you probably have some digits
2: for us, don't you? Well, we do. The first 100 points in Jamie's Ben's career came in 156 games. He won 156 games, got a 100th point. That was 0.64 points a game. Boo-boo. Stat of the night! Wow! <laughs> oh. But since then, overall, over his 669 career games which he's played, he's averaging now 0. 0.9 points a game.
0: So, is there going to be a like a graph or a, a, some kind of a spreadsheet on this after the podcast? Or we could I definitely
2: ab- lay one out in Excel. Right I would like you to absorb it and talk about it.
0: Maybe one of those bubble they call bubble graphs. Isn't that what you're into there, Tootsie?
2: Uh, no. What's your go-to? Um,
0: as
1: far as graphs go, yeah. um, I like the bar graph. I think the bar graph where you, you know,
2: have pie graph from USA I today. I like the
1: pie graph. It doesn't really <laughs> tell you, you what I want. Anyway, you
2: know? and go ahead, Tom, Tom, I digress. Well, in one of these segments, he had a substantially bigger, quicker amount to get to a hundred points. So if you break down his zero to a hundred, one hundred, one to two hundred Go on and on. Those 100-point segments, when he got to the next round number, what do you think the quickest amount of games he got from one round number to the next is? Mike and Razor? Like from 10 to 20? Nope. I'm sorry. From either 0 to 100, 101 to 200, 100 points. This is like a Tesla S or something like that. 77 games. Hike in with a 77 game, which would be a huge, huge production.
1: I'm going to say
2: 87. I don't know which rule we're going to go by, but it's kind of right in the middle. 82 games played. He went from 300 to 400 points, 301 to 400 points in 82 games, which is a 1.18 points per game. That was the high flying Lindy Ruff coach, Dallas Stars. Right? It was right from 14 uh, fourteen fifteen to fifteen sixteen. Yeah. So right in that right in his big that was run. The there. Go
0: go gadget wheelhouse.
1: That's, now that's a hundred point season right there. Eighty two games is a regular NHL season. Now hundred points in eighty two games. That is that, tr- that's a that, hundred point season. I, I don't know how you didn't see that, Tom.
2: It it went over two different seasons, right? It no. went over two different seasons, yeah. yeah.
1: But it's like the Grand Slam, the Tiger Grand Slam over two years. Yeah. It's still a Grand Slam. 100 yeah. points in 82 yeah. games to 100-point yeah. season.
0: You know what? When Tom was with the San Jose Sharks before joining the Dallas Stars, uh, they used to put out Sharkaganda. And he and his department, the absolute National Hockey League kings, of making whatever numbers are out there fit, they would polish it and then they would put it up on a pedestal and print it out and then smother the opposing broadcasts and media
2: with this concocted stat that fit their needs. Well, speaking of my time with the San Jose Sharks, it kind of feeds right in to the next point I want to make. It'll be your last point you're going to make. Two points. That's all we get. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But this point is I was looking at Jamie's durability. He's only missed seven games since the the 12 13 season. Yes. And we have a person coming into the American Airlines Center that's better at that than anybody in Patrick Marlowe.
0: Oh, I thought it was a concert. I thought it was like Queen Bee. I thought it was going to be Beyonce or something like that. Never misses a show, even with a sore throat.
2: Well, no, but I was looking and he's coming in on Tuesday here. Patrick Marlowe. Has played oh ten God. straight seasons, basically.
1: Oh, we're going back to
2: Shore. Where? Who are the longest Iron Men in Starsland right now?
1: Currently on the stars.
2: My God, is this your uh, uh, own little game show or I'm something? Go with Tom? Devin
1: Shore. He's played eighty-two for two straight. So let's go with that.
0: That's that's a pretty good guess. We've turned the roster over. Jamie's the only guy on our roster from six years ago, from opening night. Think about that for a second. So the only two... I went down a different path there because I didn't want to guess. There's two it's, guys? It's Devin Shore and it's,
2: it's Tyler Sagan. Yeah. 166
0: yeah. games played. Look at that. Man, what a wealth of information you've been this morning. Tom, leave us with one more nugget if you would,
2: and then please leave us. The one nugget I'm going to leave you with is that of those seven games that Jamie Benn has missed since twelve thirteen. One of them was just to simply rest him at the end of the 13-14 season. 13-14 season, we clinched the playoffs and then we sat him. And the other one, I don't. you'd have to tell me in 12-13, where did he miss that game during the lockout shortened season? May have been a haircut. Uh, could have been
0: just he, a day that it was like, meh.
2: He does have some of the best hair in the much. league.
0: Oh, he had flow back then, too. It's serious salad. He yeah, had nice lettuce. I, I'm not a yeah, fan of that
1: millennial side cut that Totesy gets sometimes. Speaking of millennials. You know, <laughs> but I do like Jamie's hair, generally speaking.
0: Jeff Totes and Millennial Musing is up after this. Tom, thanks for dropping the knowledge. And a big, big salute, big, big mic tap to Jamie Ben on Hitting 600.
1: Totally. My goats, my goats. Cool.
0: While two slightly overweight, middle-aged hockey coverers doing a podcast, as much as that's enough for most people, I think in order to catch the young hip crowd, we needed at least one segment where we hear from the next generation really not the next generation the now generation the millennial and we have one of the hardest working most talented production associates on planet earth with the Dallas stars he's also i guess producing this podcast and if you we'll post some pictures if you see what he's put together it looks like we're trying to trap rats more than anything else uh, but it is Jeff Totes, and it is Millennial Musings. You can tell by the EDM music that leads it in. Uh, so, on your mind, on the mind of the millennial, you have what?
3: Tom Holy is a tough act to follow. Not I have, really. I have no metrics for you. As much as millennials like metrics, I have no numbers. Yeah,
0: you guys are the ones that are into graphs, that aren't you?
3: Yeah, very, very big on measurables. I have none. Are you visual learners? Is that why? Oh, completely. Oh, okay. We don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> don't say that. All right, we'll cut this out of it.
0: <laughs> or maybe we'll just post this on its own. Okay. That's the way you'd like it anyway, wouldn't you? No, I would. Why is it not my podcast, said the millennial. No, what did I originally tell you? I wanted this to be a vlog. Yeah, I know. There'd be no... Well, there might be still pictures. Does that count? No,
3: doesn't. It should be
0: video. Moving pictures. Anyway, have at it. Tell
3: us what we should be... Uh, chewing on so would either of you guys like to guess what my favorite sporting event of the entire year is x games
1: (laughs) i know the answer so i'm gonna say
3: uh you you know the answer
1: it's It's not i'm wrong oh my gosh i thought he was a huge ufc fan ultimate fighting
3: it's the nba dunk contest is that millennial enough for you that is but slightly behind that is UFC fights. Conor McGregor this Saturday night. Do you watch it?
0: Well, we had a game. You know, I was a little bit. Well, you know what? I have like to decompress, 30.
3: Tootsie. He didn't fight till like eleven thirty. I'd already received I the know. emporium.
0: You know what? I'll tell you this. I get home, and I'm I'm unwinding from just calling right. the living bejesus out of that game against the Winnipeg Jets. And my my Twitter feed is lighting up with all these fights. Right. And I'll be honest, this will sound like a really old guy. I was like, I thought Conor McGregor was fighting because <laughs> it was one fight <laughs> after another. I was like, well, <laughs> when is he fighting? So then that happened. That happened. And I was just like, apparently I should have bought the fight <laughs> from what was going on. You missed it, out. It was, in, it was insane. The, the difference between boxing and really fighting in, in the National Hockey League, I didn't think we were going to talk this much about fighting today is that it feels like there's a code with boxers and there's a code. Obviously there's a code with guys that fight on ice. There seems no code whatsoever with MMA and UFC fighters. I mean, you get Done. a guy down, you get a guy down you, you in want a susceptible knock him out, position completely. in boxing or on the ice. You just stop throwing punches. Not uh, UFC.
3: Uh, uh, uh. Nope. That's what's great about it. So then it, it, it,
0: went outside of the octagon, it was a ball. and it went back inside
3: the <laughs> octagon. It was insane. It sets up for a great rematch. You can't, ma- you can't touch the storylines and passion of UFC. It's great. It's WWE, but with real violence. <laughs> and, and that's what captures the imagination
0: I of the male millennial? Thoughts. Is it just males, or is it female millennials, too?
1: Have you seen the movie The Purge? This is what the millennials are taking us you know to. What though, At some time, we're going to be going, you know, why don't we just go kill each other? That would be fun. I True. I think there's Purge 2 and Purge 3 now.
3: There's, too. Four. there's four. There's four. There's four purges. You I've would seen know. them all.
0: Thank you. That, that. All that said, I'll tell you what. I was transfixed watching that because everyone was sending cell phone video and everything else. And McGregor's over just in the corner, got choked out. And then there's hatred and... He was calling them terrorists and everything else before the fight. Yeah. They, they, they do create this soap opera leading up to it, and then it's just anarchy when they get going. And that was – it reminded me – bear with me here, Totsi When my first WHL camp, Western Hockey League, I was 14 years old. We played a preseason game against the Portland Winterhawks, and I played in it, and we played it in Tabor, Alberta – And there was no glass around the rink. It was chicken (laughs) wire all the way up. And this thing turned into what you witnessed. It was in Vegas? Is that where that was? Yeah, I'm Jim. It turned turned into that. So they they had a guy named Randy Turnbull. His brother, Perry Turnbull, was a real good player. Played for St. Louis and that. Randy was just a nut. Like, he was just off his rocker. We had a a guy named Dan Brown on our team. uh, And he was bad hombre. Big big bag. They they scrap. Uh, Kenny Danico got back when he had hair. Got pulled around the rink by Turnbull by his hair. Turnbull got kicked out. Cli- started climbing up the chicken wire trying to get back on the ice and join the fights again with his skates on. i I looked over my shoulder and there were like sparks coming off of the <laughs> off of the wire from his skates. He was just out of his mind and i thought of that and i thought of old with seattle coming into the nhl back in the day in seattle we played at seattle center arena same idea the rink didn't have glass it had chicken wire above the boards and people could uh, these girls would fill their water pistols with perfume and they would they would shoot the players with perfume on the ice and stuff so it was nuts they would throw pennies at at me and then they'd, they'd, they were hot pennies, so then they'd freeze into the ice, and then guys would step on the pennies. What? It was insane. So those, two, those were the two things that came to mind as I watched that thing unfold in the ring, out of the ring, back into the ring again. It was a spectacle. How does it feel to get checked into chicken wire? I didn't have to worry about it because I, I played goal. But with, in Seattle, they, they also added another level of insanity to the arena, It was a very, it was rectangular, but the corners were squared off, and they had a strip of, of tire rubber, I mean a thick strip of tire rubber that ran the entire top of the boards, and that was that was for the zamboni, so it didn't damage the boards apparently. But what would happen is, as guys would get rubbed out, you don't slide on rubber, right? So they they get rubbed out, their shoulder would be left like three feet behind them. As they got nailed of it, it was the it was the craziest arena. The fans were were just off the ice behind a curtain, and they they're yelling every obscenity on planet Earth at you on your way off. And one night we went nuts when I was playing for Bill LaForge, and they just kept going and kept going. And then our coach got into it with one of them. I I don't remember who it was, but somebody just took. I mean a chop like you were trying to knock down a redwood tree, chop into the, the curtain. Like you couldn't, you couldn't make out people. You could just see that there was just bubbling in that. And you just heard, whoa And then the boys just piled in. And there were fights all the way down the hallway, all the way to the concession stand. The cops came. We couldn't, when we left Seattle, when uh, Seattle Center Arena, the police told us, you guys can't stop. For gas, you can't stop. For something to eat, you need to get on your bus, and you need to get back to Canada. And that's what we did. No charges were laid. <laughs> there were never any charges. Will there be charges laid after the
3: <laughs> UFC extravaganza on the weekend? Probably not. Remains to be seen. He might forfeit the belt for what he did. Seriously? Yeah, which would be crazy. We'll see. Wow. So Western Hockey League back in the day and UFC not that basically different. the same basically the same thing. thing. Millennials would have loved it. Millennials would have freaked out over violent
0: mid eighties WHL.
1: Now add Twitter. to oh the situation! God. Don't add Twitter to anything that went on <laughs> in the mid eighties. And now mid-80s. that's what you got with, with the UFC right
0: now. Anyway, so UFC is your that's your go to. I like McGregor
3: a lot. Yeah, I, I don't watch every because. Fight. He's a he's a character. So great villain. Should hockey have more of that in it? Well, UFC's fully embraced. They put out vlogs like every day leading up to the fight. You and your vlog. They're embedded with the fighters. You really see their full life. It's it's just they build up these characters, and yeah, we don't do a good enough job of doing that with our star
0: athletes. Although watching games last night, and you'll love this, uh, Mister Millennial. The the Chicago Toronto game was is, do you guys say off the hizzy still no, no, no one that, says is that. that dating me no the the game ends up seven six in overtime but as they're going back and forth late in the game uh, Austin Matthews scores in Chicago and cups his ear oh yeah love in it. Chicago right Patrick Kane scores right after that cups the ear right back to him again love it now. I'm a firm, uh, you'll love this about me. I'm a firm believer that what we do after goals are scored is the most vanilla, uh, boring, dull uh, aspect, maybe of any sports celebration going. You go back to when Tameo Solani lit it up as a rookie. I mean, he threw his glove up and shot it down like he was duck hunting. That that should that should happen now, not when it's eight to one obviously but you need some of that we we have guys put their arms up you know radulov goes nuts for us right but, right which is nice but for the most part they just stand there with their arms up and everyone comes together and hugs and then they brought in the fist bump everybody does a little fist bump at the bench and that and then they go to center ice
3: so how do you feel about the choreographed nfl end zone celebrations well,
0: i've noticed this year that it's it's actually diminished a little bit. I think they all went nuts.
3: <laughs> Last year was over the top. La- well, it
0: was it was stupid. I, mean, it, I think they spent more time on on their skits and plays <laughs> than they did on their playbooks. But it, it just seemed like it was con- it was a bit too contrived. And this year, every now and then it looks spontaneous, but for the most part, I think it's
3: drifted a little bit. You didn't see the Chiefs yesterday, huh? No. I did not.
0: <laughs> did they go
1: crazy? I was just going to say, humility is bred into this sport, and that's but part I think of it's leaving. I agree, and then I, <laughs> I hate to say this with totes right here, these kids want that. They want to have Look a video. Him. They want to have a gif or jiff or whatever, however you pronounce it. You, you, you can't can even focus on this for no, six minutes. He's, You're he's on still your not phone online. again. He's, 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 oh. And he's trying to find the vlogs, too, I and mean, so, you know. But
0: you agree, right? Like that. Well, here, we'll leave it at this. This yep. is our last question. Since we had fighting and we're talking a little bit about celebration. So in the, in the game the other night where, uh, was it Eller? I think celebrated, and he went, he went, they were up, what were they up by? Lars Eller and, and company, they were up by a ton. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Five one maybe, and he goes right by the opposing bench with a little, yeah, yippee, little yippy cajet. Well, and then so then uh, Brad Marchand or it's Marchand again. Marchand had to fight him. Shand this year he changed it again. Yeah, he comes out and fights him. Yeah. Thoughts.
3: Yeah, if the celebrations like overtly like that, especially when you're up by that big, if it's to go up two Look at one, the it's a Maturity in the millennial year. No, I'm a fan of fighting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're back with final thoughts after this. Okay, Michael, rinky-dinking number one is coming to a conclusion. And I thought we would, since it's Monday that we're recording this, Bit of a Monday morning quarterback aspect to it. Cowboys last night had an opportunity to go for it in overtime uh, with a fourth down and decided to punt. And, you know, decisions are made by coaches for various reasons. It just prompted the sort of spitballing in my mind that what is the equivalent in today's NHL of going for it on fourth down?
1: I think the, the easiest one is because we see it, is pulling the goalie. And when you decide to do it, do you decide to do it with three minutes left, one minute left, 50 seconds left? And sometimes you have to read the game and, and see where you know the puck is and how things are going. But I think there's been a big discussion lately of guys who do it with four minutes left in the game. And that is a bit shocking to me. Um, and- the
0: analytics community will – step forward and tell you that you in some circumstances you should start the game with your goalie on the right. bench. And they're not kidding. No. no it's it's
1: weird because if
0: like, they ever if they ever got hired as a head coach, I think it would change their thinking a little bit, but the numbers and the probabilities all dictate that that's when you should do it or middle of the game you're down 4 to 1, you should pull your goalie. Yeah.
1: It's I go back and you know, I think you and I were both both there when uh, Edmonton tried to pull the goalie in regulation before overtime with three seconds left. I think it was maybe. And the guy said he goes, well, we thought the over under was three seconds, but we decide the over under is never. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but there are opportunities where you sit there and go, you know what, this will give us. 26% better chance to score a goal, and it's a 0% chance that they're going to get an empty netter against us or whatever you want to say. Or this is going to give us an extra 40 seconds. Yeah, um, I disagree a lot of times just from the eye test. I think when you get that momentum of going after the other team, um, they oftentimes will ice the puck. And well, so that th-
0: that's what I would probably go with as my – similarity between going for it in football on fourth down and hockey would be you're on the power play it's late and you decide to pull your your goalie because they have full reign to uh, firepox at your empty net without having face face face-offs back in their own zone again or the other one I thought about was and I don't know that anybody's done this yet I don't know of anyone that has you get a point when it's tied heading into overtime, you pull your goalie in overtime and you get scored on and you lose the game, you don't just lose the game, you lose both points. Right, And that's about as aggressive a move a coach can make and it would you'd have to have enormous brass ones in order to pull that off.
1: You know what's interesting is I wonder if people, I mean we don't have any real examples of it happening, but just what is the four on – three, you know, percentage and how much more advantage. Because you really do, if you have the puck, what you do in overtime, I, I'm i starting to think you could talk yourself into that one, Daryl. But you would have to have enormous guys. Oh, man. the one time it doesn't
3: work. I think the only
0: way <laughs> you could do it in today's NHL would be if you're also the owner of the team, <laughs> the general manager of the team, and the head coach of the team,
1: yeah. Or you get down to the last game of the season, you have to. Have well, it, right.
0: obviously, and then. But
1: I'd like to see it. I mean, I you know we we really haven't seen. We'll it that check much. in
0: with the analytics community and see what they think about that. We'll check in with all of you again next week. That's it for volume one or, or uh, segment one uh, of volume dozens. I don't know how deep we're going to go with this podcast. We know eight. there'll be a number two, and it's next week. See you everyone.